Blog Talk Radio. And all the world is football shape. It's just for me to kick his face. And I can see him. Oh, I just realized I didn't make the show 60 minutes as I, as I looked at counting down. Okay, apparently we're going an hour and a half today. Anyway, this is on the Elkhart Podcast brought to you by Yellow Gold, uh, Global Scarves. And we're also on the, the Happy Hour Network. I want to thank Nikki X for that one. Actually, it's not Nikki X that did that. It's um, Lee, I think it's Lee Vowell. Um, we're on Friday nights. We're repeated Friday nights at 7 p.m. That's on Blog Talk. They actually came to me about that during my vacation with my dad last week and I was going to pop on this show but Ted wanted me on that show so just it was a whole bunch of fun. As always is Keith Kokinda's with me and since I haven't talked to him in God it's almost been three weeks since I've talked to him on air we're going to get a little ranty for a bit and I, I, I planned it to originally only be about the whole Garber Klinsman thing and then various other fun. And then the MLS just went stupid on themselves. And it's going to highlight something, and I'm going to – you guys have heard me evoke my father many times out here. My dad is the smartest man I've ever met. And I – now, you guys are all sitting here, why haven't you said Keith in that? I'll give you new people fair warning. I've never met Keith. I've – probably been in the same state with him more than once, and I'm not talking the state of confusion, because we're in that every day. I've never met Keith. I resemble that that remark. (laughs) Oh, yes, we're both blonde, blonde and he has more hair than me, which is kind of scary. But anyway, since we're going an hour and a half this week, it kind of gets us to extend a lot of stuff. Um, When we talk about the MLS and the Chris Bonacci thing, I am going to pull the, the curtain back a little bit on some stuff. You guys do know I'm actually still underemployed, and I am a... And Keith can also attest to this. I write all over the damn world. Um, I'm trying not yeah, to a, piss some a, other... His articles, and blog, his articles and blogs, like my resume and demo reel, they're out there in cyberspace so much they're crashing into each other. Oh, oh I got even a funnier one for you now that you've said that. Um, I'm writing for a guy in Glasgow right now. And he was like, he's approaching the stuff and telling me the stuff to write. And at this point, I've been I've been back writing. I've been writing soccer since, God, I think, 08. I forget where I have put stuff. I've written a lot on the old NASL. And it's it's alarming how much I've written. And I still talk to a lot of the old pot, a lot of the old bloggers I talk talk to. One I haven't written with in a while is Daryl Grove, which is weird, but that's six years. He, he type my new editor types in NASL and my first name things that come up on Google are mine. Now I don't have I don't yeah. You know, Keith, I have a, Keith, you know, I have a very common name. So, I mean, it's not like saying yeah, there, there's, there's another 
Stephen Charles Brandt that's a writer out there. He lives in Hawaii. So it's not on the question. If I come, if I put my name into Google, I can find his stuff. It, his writing is actually not too bad. Don't understand the damn thing of it. You two need to, you two need to meet and work with each other. It'll either solve or yeah. add to the confusion, one or the other. <laughs> oh yeah, and what's even funnier about it is we're not related whatsoever. No. Because I, yeah, but I Brandt is definitely look. more a more common name than Kokinda. I can assure you. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, yes. But anyway, um, one of the things, we're also going to talk about the whole Klinsman Garber thing. We're not going to touch on Taco Ted on this one. He's gotten enough press really beginning to annoy the hell out of me. I mean, the fact that him and his cronies went after Aaron Stolar this weekend because of his wedding in April. Let's, Let's put this back. <laughs> Aaron Stolar's been married for most of the year. Ted dug up, and I don't know why, dug up the wedding registry and was making fun of Aaron Stolar because he's a because Aaron Stolar lives in D.C. and goes to Georgetown. That he's too high, he's too big of a guy. Now, how the hell he? found the wedding registry. And now the fact that what a howler has done an article on Ted. Folks, we're we're feeding into his neurosis. That's all we're doing here. He wants to be talked about. The quicker we don't talk about the crazy guy, he's the pink elephant in the room when it talks about soccer. Well, here's the funny part with all of this. Is, first of all, number one, if there's anybody that's that connected to Howard Magazine, if you're going to write about him, how about writing about me too, America's Great Undiscovered Soccer Broadcasting Talent. Okay, I think I deserve a piece now at this point. Enough of the self-promotion. Second of all, Ted, part of his entire theory is that there's a conspiracy theory out there that MLS is conspiring against the other leagues, against all this. They're not going to allow anybody to talk about it, things like that. Well, that got shot to ribbons last week on the MLS game. When, first of all, it got shot to ribbons. First of all, it took its first hit when Don Garber talked about it. He, answered a question. he didn't give the greatest answer in the world, but he addressed it at least. He didn't say, you know, just duck this whole thing. But it really got shredded when Taylor Twelman and Alexi Lawless talked about it at halftime. They didn't say a whole lot about it, but they brought the subject up. And I don't see them being blacklisted anywhere by anybody. So uh, that whole conspiracy theory about MLS trying to make sure they stop it, it can be can be officially buried now. This is talked about on ESPN, who is and will continue to be a broadcast partner of MLS. Certainly, if this cabal existed the way he thinks it does, you, know, you wouldn't see Taylor Twelman or Alexi Loss on ESPN anymore, but I don't see that happening. So it's you know, it's a subject that definitely is worth talking about. Uh, as I've said before, though, it's just not realistically financially possible at this time, and I don't think you'll see it uh, for at least another 20 years, maybe more. Of course, that all hinges to me on whether or not, A, first and foremost, 
you're going to allow TV timeouts in soccer, which I still think is coming. I still think now that we see these cooling breaks and be using TV timeouts in the World Cup, I think I honestly see, I honestly believe in the 2016 season, MLS will adopt it. I mark it, mark it down. Until I'm, I'm telling you, it's coming, and that is going to be the game. But the other part about it, and this is this kind of ties in with the Cleveland Garber uh, situation, is you've got to get all these professional leagues to cooperate and pool resources, revenue, or whatever the case may be. I just don't see that happening. I really don't. It would take some pretty significant strong arming, I guess might be the right word. Persuasion might be better. I don't know. But it would take a significant effort on the part of U.S. soccer to change the mindset of all the powers that be in these leagues, not to mention all the people who are putting in the money into these leagues. Now, Sunil Gulati, you know, say whatever you want to say about him, the simple fact is the man is no Pete Roselle. Okay, and the, Pete Rosell was the man who made the NFL what it is today more than anything else in terms of being a business, in terms of convincing people such as Wellington Mayor of the Giants, uh, uh, George Preston Marshall of the Washington Redskins, uh, uh, George Hallis with Chicago, convincing them, hey, you might take a little bit of a financial hit in the short term by pooling all of our revenue, television revenues, but believe me, you're going to benefit in the long run when this stuff grows. You know, Roselle saw this stuff coming, and he was able to persuade these guys to abandon their individual television plans and, and, and broadcast networks to pool in together with all the other smaller markets, uh, smaller market teams. I don't see that kind of a person in you in, in American soccer anywhere. I really don't. And that's the kind of person it will take to get all the leagues and all the power brokers in those leagues together and to be able to agree on a way to make promotion and relegation work. And even if he could, again, the revenue just isn't there. It, it simply isn't. It's too, this country is too big. It's too much getting around is too difficult in terms of the cost. It, you've got too much disparity between stadium sizes. Uh, it, it's just not a realistic thing at this time, and it's going to be a long time before we get to that point. But it's it's still worth discussing. Um, it, it, you know, to my point, and I don't mind, I don't mind a rational discussion of the subject. It's just that certain people don't see it that way. They had they have the NCAA mentality of this is the way it should be because I say so, and that's it, without anything to back it up. And I think uh, we, we all have to I go on to Twitter. Either Chris, also, it's either Chris, yeah, it's either Chris Gluck or uh, Matt Hoffman who just jumped in. I'm not sure it's which. Chris. I know, I know, I it's know this Chris. one's Chris Gluck. Okay. Hey, Chris, welcome we, aboard. Welcome back. Hey, Keith, Stephen, how are you guys doing? Good. We also have to go on to Twitter right now. Maxi Rodriguez is trolling Kylan Kaylin Knapp right now, and it's freaking hilarious. He he's been he's been trolling people about Manchester United all day, and he finally poked Kayla Knapp, and it's getting even funnier by the second. I, Maxie, who was yeah, it again? Maxie, 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 you know football intellect. Yeah, right. That yeah, because you you said that tweet to me, and I knew you. Were, I knew it was trolling. I knew right away. That's why I didn't reply to it. <laughs> he got Kayla Knapp. He's going back and forth with Kayla Sorry, sorry. I wanted I wanted to get 
Chris onto because now you've been writing for a while. Have you ever written with the MLS? Uh, as in part of the MLS franchise, it's MLS soccer. Yes. No. No. Okay. I'm I'm okay. independent. Okay. Good. We're all independent, so I, I can go because I am really, really perturbed by what the I'm going to call them the Colorado Avalanche. Wow. See where my <laughs> mind is tonight. What, what the Colorado Rapids and the MLS did to Chris Bonacci. It's to to Chris who. Chris Bianchi. Chris Bianchi. Chris Bianchi. Chris Bianchi. But not, I don't, Bianchi. Yeah, Bianchi. Bianchi, okay. Bianchi, it's, uh, yeah. He, they, the team pushed to have him fired because he wrote some unflattering things about the league or anything that was, things that weren't good during their and the Rapids have been horrible this year. Been horrible. They basically they have been a dumpster fire this year. They lost their top two. They lost Perea and Wilmer Cabrera before the year and took until maybe 36 minutes before the start of the season to name Pablo Masterini the head coach. And Pablo didn't want to be named the head coach of the team. He just wanted to be the academy manager. And you see them getting dumped out like this. And MLS I know they want to say editorial freedom and they want to they want to view they want to have the best lowly paid writers out there. Now, this is precisely, folks, and I'm going to explain this to my father when he calls me, why I have never worked with the MLS. This is not the first time they've done this. It's been documented five times already they've done this. And and some of the people I've been reading that are in the know think it's a lot more than that. And there's there's a guy in Philadelphia that they, they ran out. This is a scary thing. This is why I, and I have found this also with soccer media in the States. Outside of Alicia Rodriguez and Sean Spence, I have been trying to write on the MLS for five years. I have been trying for five years to get it. I have sent, every time Ivis Kolarsep puts out, we're looking for writers, I send my stuff in every time. Every time I get back, oh, I'm sorry, we're not looking for your type of person. I have gone to Dave Martinez three times. Nothing. And I happen to like Dave Martinez a lot, so I don't hold it against that man whatsoever. I find there's a problem with people in the MLS and in the media media that MLS media that they have to protect the brand instead of letting it grow. Because if you touch anything that makes it sound horrible, you get ripped. Now, I am, and Keith can attest to this, I am not 
I'm not a revolutionary or a hard writer. You would say I'm kind. I'm kind of. I'm kind of passive. Yeah, you know, Stephen, if if you don't mind, I've I've got a couple of thoughts on it, and I don't know if it scratches the itch or not. But you know, I don't I don't read the MLS writers anymore, um, nor any less. I guess um, in uh, I'll put I put that two different ways for for a reason. I don't read them anymore because it's canned match report type stuff. And, you know, that's not my gig anyhow. Um, and I don't read them any less uh, because I do go and I look at the stats sites. Um, and then I laugh and giggle when I see the MLS best 11 ad- advocating three center backs, four midfielders, and three strikers when there's no team in the league that runs that formation. Um, so... So it's kind of the more or less, and you know, I, you know, there's some, there's some good writers there for sure, and you know, if they've got something, some sort of standard that they have to write to specific to the job, you know, that I don't think that's unusual. Um, but then again, you know, when when somebody steps out, and I've not read any of the latest articles by the guy that covered Colorado, Chris. Um, and that's not because he's not a good writer. I just, I don't read him. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if that helps or not. Well, a couple of, a couple of things I want to bring up on it. Number one, first of all, uh, Dave Zeitlin, who covers, uh, who writes for MLS soccer covering the union, uh, put up a tweet yesterday saying, quote, I'm quoting here. For four years, I've striven to create good journalism for MLSsoccer.com. I wouldn't be there if the site was about promoting propaganda. And Chris Bianchi replied to it saying, quote, I agree, and I apologize that the coverage surrounding all this makes it seem otherwise. Now, I'm just putting it out there to see these guys have said this. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with them. I'm not necessarily saying they do this because they have to or whatever. I'm just saying they're, they put this out there. But Jonathan Tannerwall, Tannerwall brought this up on Twitter as well. He brought up a couple things. Number one, he brought up, and I couldn't find the article. I sent him a tweet asking where it was, and he, I, he, didn't, he hasn't replied back yet, so I don't know if he saw it or not. But he put out a, a tweet, I think it was either yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, with an article about the new MLS soccer website when it was relaunched, and it mentioned whoever, one of the people tried to say about there's going to be you know, editorial freedom or stuff like that in there. You know, obviously, that that may or may not be the case. Um, so, but but he all, but John Look up Jeff Abbott. Very, what's that? Look up Jeff Abbott, an editorial Freeman. It's uh, look it up in Google. It's something Jeff yeah. Abbott and editorial Freeman. Okay, editorial. I'll, I'll, um, But, um, but anyway, this, Jonathan, Jonathan brought up one of the things. There was one thing Jonathan brought up, but he, this is a very good point. You know, MLS, this isn't like the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NHL or the NBA. Now, granted, those leagues all have the websites where they have writers working for them, covering teams, covering quote-unquote teams, and writing for the websites. But you also have, in those situations, 
you have normal, you know, I should say normal, you have your websites for uh, websites and newspapers and television stations who put people on those beats on a full-time regular basis. Plus you also have things like Sport, uh, SB Nation, you have Bleacher Report and other sites like that. Sites that are more into that than they are in the MLS. And you believe the point. Finding more independent uh, writing about MLS is more difficult because you're not dealing with a lot of situations where a media outlet is devoting somebody to covering that beat full time. Even David Zeitlin, he's now listed on his Twitter feed. He also covers college basketball, uh, University of Pennsylvania uh, sports. Uh, he also does writing for uh, the 700 level, which is a, a blogging website for Philadelphia sports as well. So he's doing, and, and Jonathan points out, he's done other things like that as well. There, there's not a, a, a lot, uh, you can't, it's hard to find full-time independent MLS coverage because there's just not the money there to warrant it. And this, this puts MLS in a different position because, well, um, you know, certainly leagues, the other sports leagues are trying more and more to control the message that gets out there. Even athletes in individual sports do this. Tiger Woods, among others, has made a point to put out news on his own website or his own Twitter feed rather than go through traditional media outlets. And um, so this this is a, this is an issue, you know, for the MLS state who wants, you know, a more independent story, a more independent voice. It's harder to find. And while, you know, obviously you've got a lot of blogging and podcasting going on, obviously it's not the same thing. As I've told people when I contact them about being on the show, I tell them, you know, we're, we're not journalists. We're not reporters. You know, we're, we're pundits. We're, we're pundits. We're doing a podcast. We're giving our own opinions. We're not doing reporting. We're not deciding to get digging sources and trying to find out things behind guys' injuries and stuff like that. That's not what we do. And that's most most things are not. You know, there are people out there, such as Alicia Rodriguez and others, who do, who do a terrific job, and Matt Hoffman, too, I should mention him, who do a terrific job on an independent basis, even though they're writing for some of the more major uh, sports websites. But it's, it's, the, it's a quandary for the MLS fan. It's something that that MLS uh, has in terms of controlling the message more over the other leagues is that there's not, because of the, the much less independent traditional media out there covering the league as opposed to the four major sports. Well, you know, there's some good points there, Keith. And that when you were, when you were talking, it made me think about, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a strength and a weakness here. I mean, you know, for me, the weakness is when I when I've read product published on the MLS soccer page. Um, you know, sixty to seventy percent of the time, and maybe that's a bit too high. Maybe it's fifty percent or thirty percent. I don't know. But you know, the the match reporting and the attempt to analyze the game in association with the headline, are pear-shaped. And and I'll give you an example. One of the most consistent teams in MLS this year has been Columbus, both on attack and defense. And one of the most inconsistent teams this year in MLS in the Eastern Conference has been New York. And, And the headline for the article in MLS is Columbus stuns New York. And and that's completely wrong. 
that that is so far from being wrong. Not necessarily. I mean, because, so far from I mean, being right. I mean, well, there, there's no stun there. Well, I mean, I would Columbus is. I wouldn't just have used the word stun there, but you have to remember that your results matter a lot. You're dealing with a Columbus team that, after winning its first three, then either lost or they went only 16 games where they only won twice. Okay, it took some time for Burhalter's system to kick in, and it's been an ongoing process. I mean, the team has improved as the year's gone on in terms of the results. Uh, certainly, especially over the last couple of months. But there was a long stretch there after the first three games where they were not getting results at all. And while the statistics may say one thing, you know, the, the standings reflect wins, draws, and losses, and not the other stats that uh, that you know, someone like you tracks in terms of overall performance. Uh, you know, the, the word stud might be a little bit misleading, but certainly. Uh, nobody has really paid a whole lot of attention to the crew's improvement since they went through that bad stretch in May and June. But uh, granted, okay, not everybody pays attention to the underlying statistics within a game. But, you know, these aren't detailed statistics, though, Keith. They're basic possession, passing, penetration, Shots on goal, goal scored, etc. Well, I, granted, results haven't been there, but you know it, that that's just one example. I mean, to me, the one that I that earlier, the best eleven. I mean, seriously, if you understand anything about soccer, you know that nobody plays three center backs, and and as a matter of fact, the position center back might actually be extinct in another three to five years, uh, given the possession-based and, and quick transitions that the teams require and, and how crosses really just aren't that effective in doing what they need to do. So it, it just, I don't know. So, you know, Stephen, I, I mean, I've not attempted, and I won't, but... Um, you know, if if you can bring that level of understanding to MLS, I think you'll do great. Um, I I just organizationally, I I just got a hard time with some of the other things too, uh, like the Garber incident, the the fact that Chivas is going belly up for two years or down the rabbit hole for two years. MLS owns those players. What are they going to do with them? You know, the expansion draft is not weeks away, as in two or three weeks away, but it's close. There's nothing there. The collective bargaining agreement, the salary cap, you know, the the refereeing situation, the lack of full-time professional refs. You know, there there's a lot of other issues, I think, besides the, the MLS soccer issue, you know, dot com. I mean, here's an example. When you go to um, CNN or you go to USA Today or you go to ESPN or you go to uh, Fox or MSNBC, you don't see MLS soccer on the same hot tab footing that you see the NFL and the college football and Major League Baseball and National Basketball Association. 
And and I think that's because the MLS wants to have their own site to control the media and the output associated with their program. I mean, have you guys noticed that? Well, the other leagues oh, do yeah, that I... too to a large extent. The, dif- the difference there, it, it, it's a simple numbers game. There are more people interested in those other four, in Major League Baseball, the NFL, NHL, and NBA than there are in MLS. That that's just numbers of a fact of life. It's you know MLS is catching up certainly to the NFL, to the NBA, and the NHL, but it's not there yet. It's but it's, it's the most simple. popular sport in the country, Keith. It's there not, are more kids playing not, youth soccer now than there are playing minor league. There are playing little okay. league baseball. Okay, but those kids aren't the ones who are buying the tickets and patronizing the sponsors. And this is something, and I'm glad you brought that up, because this is something that I noticed last night watching the USA Haiti and women's uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifier. You know, the American Outlaws were there in good numbers at, at, at RFK Stadium. It was, great, it was great to see. And this was brought about the NWSL on a few occasions. Uh, you look at MLS and what's happened, and we've talked about this before, Increasingly, the MLS crowd, both the, the stadium followers and the people who watch and things like that, it's increasingly a young urban crowd. You know, that twenty to thirty-five range. Okay, for, and I, for decades, I saw soccer marketing and time, whether in teams and lead countless number of teams, countless leagues, all saying that thing about we got to market to the kids, we got to market to the kids, we got to market to the kids. Well, guess what? The kids aren't buying the tickets. And the kids aren't patronizing the sponsors. That's the adults doing that. The adults pay the bills. If one thing, you know, one thing MLS has done right, they finally understood that concept. And it's something that uh, it's, it seems to hopefully is going to change on the women's side too, because because it's you've got the, the adults ultimately pay the bills. It's that simple. You know, yeah, they're bringing kids along. I'm not saying they aren't, but you know, you got to you, you could talk about the future and all these kids playing and all you want. But it took a good 40 years for the kids who play soccer to start patronizing it as adults in terms of buying tickets and watching on TV. And that's what, ha- that's what has to continue. You have the, the adults are the ones who pay the bills. You can point out all the numbers about the kids playing youth soccer and everything else, but they've been saying that for 40 years. They've been saying it since the 70s. All the, growth, no, the huge growth numbers of kids playing youth soccer. Well, look how long it took to translate that into ticket buying and uh, ticket buying and TV watching adults. I get most a good portion of my life. So it's this is uh, this is something MLS finally figured out. Hopefully the NWSL will figure it out. The, 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 the youth participation is irrelevant as far as the business of MLS today because they got to sell tickets and get people to watch this weekend's games. And it's 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 the adults that have, that are the ones they're depending on or that they have to depend on for that. But in terms of, but if you put it into sheer numbers in terms of you know, maybe ticket buying, watching on TV, following online, whatever, the numbers for MLS still don't come to what even the NBA and the NHL get. Attendance-wise, yes. Attendance-wise, MLS is getting pretty close to being on even par with the other. But in terms of the other factors, whether it be merchandise sales, you know, patronizing sponsors, TV ratings, whatever the case may be, MLS is still behind it. Certainly, they got a long way to go before they can even approach what the NFL is doing. So the the, the media outlets, while they realize that, yes, 
this game is here to stay, and they're going to get, and they're going to give it more serious coverage because the fans are demanding it. It's still, it's still a numbers game. They're going to devote more resources to the NFL and, and the other four major sports because that's where they're going to get the ba- biggest bang for their buck. Because it's more, it's just as much. It's especially when it comes to web traffic and TV. It's about getting those eyeballs on your show and on your site. That's what man, and the, the numbers just aren't aren't yet there for MLS as they are for the other the four major sports. Yeah, I don't know. I, hmm. I don't know, Stephen. I, be, I I didn't mean to hijack your your rant on oh, MLS and to, how they've I mean, treated their writers. He's still, he still has 55 minutes. He's got plenty of time. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, is there a specific? I'm used to this. I've been mean, I've been with Keith for two and a half years. I, I'm used to saying one word and then being able to put my phone down for an hour. Well, I apologize. That's being a little that's being a little extreme because I don't I don't think Keith could talk for an hour straight without taking a breath. But no, what what I would say is it it makes the makes the league look even worse. Yeah, there's a lot. This off season is going to be really interesting. I mean, with Chivas basically going away, it's and there's going to probably be a lockout. There's probably going to be a lockout. The the refs, I mean, the refs, yeah, so there's no full-time refs. There's no full-time in anything anymore. And I'm not going to get into that rant because Keith got that one via text last night. Um, you know, so funny you should say that. I said, don't misunderstand, guys. I'm not here to defend MLS on all fronts. I said they have made mistakes. They have made missteps. They've done things wrong on many occasions. And if and if they lock, if they are stupid enough to lock out the players, there there's a problem here. There's oh, that's I mean, there are issues. There are issues that need to be worked out with the salary cap. Certainly, MLS should spend more money on the players because let's face it, as I've said many times before, that's who people are paying to see. That's who people are turning on their TVs to watch. Hopefully, the hopefully the powers that be will be smart enough to realize this, and hopefully they'll be smart both sides. The players, as well as the owners, we start to realize, hey, we've got issues. We need to work them out. If it takes longer than the contract, so be it. We should continue. We, hopefully, they'll realize, hey, we got to continue going on without a contract because it's the best thing for the league in the long run. Hopefully, neither side will be stupid or stubborn enough to, input, to either go on strike or oppose a lockout, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, hey, hey, Stephen. You know, you mentioned like the the lockout in in the collective bargaining agreement. I actually just published an article today, and here's the topics I got. And I I wonder what your thoughts are on this collective bargaining agreement. Two new expansion teams, Shivas USA going belly up, introduction of new USL pro sides, and general business operating conditions. You know, I'll be honest with you. In my view, I I just Kind of got blindsided when you you mentioned the the potential of there being a lockout. I mean, I I hadn't thought about that at all. Where how, how do you how are you figuring that, or or what what are you seeing that's causing you to think that? I live by enough people that are on Twitter that have been saying stuff that it, there's enough people that are in. The independent MLS media, and I'm saying one of them's Tannewald. I think I think it was either one of them was Tannewald. I think one of them was either Tannewald or the other one was Stolar. I don't know, Aaron Stolar. I think it was one of the two. Is 
says, don't be too surprised if, if coming up, this is what you see. And it's not going to be a ma- massive lock. It's not going to be an NHL lockout. We're due for another NHL lockout, to be honest with you. I think they do it every every four years because they don't want to play. For, they they want to get more than that two weeks off they get in the summer. That, no, don't it's be because, surprised. It's because, Gary Bet- it's because Gary Bettman doesn't believe in paying the players. That's why the NHL has all the labor to well, all right, back yeah, to and, MLS. Uh, that, that, and back and um, <laughs> Commissioner Big Commissioner Big Ears is doing the same thing too. I mean, he's not. Will he put in a fourth DP and raise the, raise the bottom? No, because here's what he, here's what the CBA is going to be. Here's what these negotiations are going to be. They're going to claim, may, uh, MLS is going to claim that they're losing all this money because they had to front all of these new transfers coming in. So what's going to happen is sometime before the season starts, they're going to they're going to lock themselves out. Now, it's not going to be that long because what's going to have to happen is you're not going to you're not going to delay Orlando City and New York CFC coming in because that those two are way too important for them to not happen. You've got to get Ricardo Kaka to come into the league even though people are saying even though there's a lot of reports going out there that Kaká wants to stay in Brazil and not come up, you're going to, you want New York City FC in here because it brings in a lot of prestige and a lot of money. Even though you're playing on a baseball stadium. Yeah, the this, other thing, Stephen, though, is there's going to be CCO. There's going to be Champions League games going on before the season starts, and. And I really, I mean, that's why I just didn't see a lockout. Because I, I can't see MLS risking ruining Champions League opportunities for the franchise. That That's well, that's why I, I thought have, it just wouldn't happen. Point, Chris. Well, you do have a point with that, but here, here's the thing. I, I have a huge issue with the, the Champions League over here. It should be reorganized. For the MLS, we get to play them early in the season, and all these these leagues have already started playing. We, we outside of the teams that are still in, was it only DC United and Portland are still in? Get smoked, get smoked and pushed out. It, the Champions League, yeah, it brings in money and it brings teams to other things. How can you explain that DC United is down in God knows where right now with 13 players plus a full keeper? That's the that's the flagship of the MLS. I well, like the Timbers took their these. whole team. They they played at night, Stephen. They they took their whole yeah. team to uh, play Olympia. Oh yeah, but I mean literally, let's be honest, the whole think, team. Yeah, yeah, which it's, is not a surprise. A by, that's just a byproduct of the different calendars, though. You know, there, there's the, I don't know if you, I don't know if there's a way to fix that because of the fact of MLS's season not coinciding with most of your Central and South American Central American seasons. Plus you have the fact that countries like Mexico, among others, don't have necessarily a set season. They have a series of three tournaments throughout the year, much like you see in many of the South American countries as well. So that the issue, the timing of it, I'm not sure if there's anything anybody can do about it unless MLS decides they want to get on the same kind of system that Mexico has. And I don't see that happening. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'll tell you guys, here, here's kind of what I thought. I thought the salary cap is going to go up considerably. 
It, it has should. To. It and should. I think the it DP better. numbers are going to go up, at least to four or maybe five. If they don't go to five and they go to four, I also think they'll probably increase the number of foreign players that can play. And, and here's why I think that, and I, and I put that in my article too, is when you're adding Orlando City and you're adding New York, you're going from 19 to 21 back to 20 because Chivas is dumping out. But you've got all those players on contract from Chivas, of which maybe only two or three are probably going to be able to latch on with another MLS team. So what you what you've really done is by increasing the number of teams in the league, you've potentially increased risk in watering down the talent and skill of the league. If MLS is continuously wanting to improve and be more competitive with a league like the EPL, uh, and notice I didn't say Bundesliga or La Liga because I don't think they compare, um, you know, they're they're going to have to find ways to give teams opportunities to strengthen the talent and skills as opposed to working with watered-down skill that's just available here. You know, yeah, and you're part absolutely. of that problem is college soccer, too. You're, you're right on all counts, Chris. There has to be – it's one of the beautiful things with soccer that makes it – where your NBA and the NHL are a little more in line with is the fact you've got a much bigger pool of talent. You've got a worldwide pool of talent. Now, the NBA – that's a little different scenario because you don't have, you don't think uh, uh, as many uh, guys on a roster. Obviously, you have more teams, and there's an, and there's enough money in Europe where a lot, there's a lot of guys who can play in the NBA. If they don't, because like, hey, I can get this money here. Why should I go to America and take the risk? But it's it's something you you do want to see it because you want to raise the standard of play for American players. And if it means bringing in a little more foreign talent, fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. You know, you, especially like you said, the college soccer thing uh, is an issue because you know the college game on multiple levels is not geared for developing players for MLS. And yeah, they don't even operate under FIFA. No, they don't. And but the thing, <laughs> the thing you have to remember, the thing, the thing to remember about about college is, and I'm now I'm predicting this. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, I'm going to say it will happen. But my prediction is in ten years or so when all of the NCAA court cases are done and all the reforms are finally instituted, college soccer is going to be basically basically a glorified uh, high-level recreational league. You're going to play, you're going to have Ohio State is going to be playing uh, Capital, Otterbein, Ohio Dominican, uh, maybe Ohio University, maybe Akron. All, there's not going to be money in the athletic department budget for uh for soccer to be anything more than a club sport. They're not going to fund it anymore because all the money's going to be tied up in football and men's basketball. Uh, it, this is, so you're going, this is, so this is where, you know, the academy program is going to become more important for MLS and, and even to some extent, the the other, the, the USL and the NASL clubs, obviously they can't do what the MLS can do with an academy standpoint, but certainly they could do something because, you're not going to be seeing kids going to college to get uh, to play soccer on a scholarship. That's just like I have a kid who plays soccer in college. He's going to be doing it because he feels like doing it, not because he's got a chance to get an education. 
that's not going to, anybody or chance to play professionally, anybody wants to play professionally in 10 years, that person's going to be going through, you know, these these travel teams and into an academy someplace. Well, that and the USL Pro, I mean, you know, I, right. there there's some information I can't share, but, but what I can share based upon a conversation I had with, with somebody within the Timbers the other day, um, you know, the USL Pro is like from 17 to 22 or 23, really. I mean, realistically. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, the and, and here's where I think MLS is is doing something good that matches Major League Baseball. They're, they're creating a farm system, and, and right. I think this farm system, you know, with the USL Pro sides, I think it actually facilitates the production of better players than an academy will. Yeah, um, and and here's why yeah. I say that. It's, what, what it's, name? What name, Chris? Aaron Schoenfeld. Okay. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. But, but, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, a lot of the academies, and I'll just say this general, I, I think a lot of the academies are more focused on creating the general athlete for soccer performance than they are the soccer athlete at the age of 14 or 15. I think, you know, it's it's like who's that that guy Abramovich? Abramovitz? I mean, he he was into judo and and other martial arts and look how talented that guy is with the football. And and he didn't get there because he learned soccer. He got there because he was an athlete in another sport. Um but but anyhow, I digress in in off well, topic there, good, Stephen. You make, but you make a good point there because it's uh, and we'll probably get into this with the end uh, with the Clinton Garber thing, and we'll let Stephen go back to that. But this is something that um, uh, and I just blanked on his name. One of the guys from the '94 team, uh, the '94 World Cup team. I can't think of who it was. McBride? No, not McBride. Ramos? Uh, no. Yeah, Tabra. Yeah, Tabra Reyna, one of the two, was interviewed in New York Daily News. He pointed point out the most important period of development for a player is 12 to 18 years old. You know, the, 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 and this is, this is where this debate between Garver and Klinsman gets a little ridiculous to me because that's the you know, player, it's, it shouldn't be, for them, it's not about player development. Uh, they've got two separate interests going there, and we'll we'll let Stephen go on to his rant. And we'll talk about that some more then. Wow, I got a segue out of Keith. Uh, yep, <laughs> that was cool. At least he brings professionalism <laughs> to the show, which is great. <laughs> um, when I originally planned this, I, I I looked at what Garber did as now, someone get me wrong here. Carver's from the NFL, right? Yeah, he spent some time in the NFL, yes. Okay. So, and he was there under Tadley because he's he's long since been he, – he he wouldn't know Goodell. He wouldn't know Goodell because I don't think Goodell was, still, was there at the time. He, this, he may have been. I'm not 100% sure. I, Goodell might have been there for some period of time. While Garber was there, I'm not sure if it was how long a period it was, but I think they 
I think they were there at the same time for, for a little bit. Yeah, because you and Goodell are not are about the same age. Because I know Goodell's not an old guy by any stretch of the imagination. So, but anyway, um, that struck me really odd that a, a preemptive a preemptive press conference to basically yell and scream. Well, not really yell and scream. It's kind of like that. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a YouTube sensation years ago about some guy crying about being mean to Britney Spears. This kind of felt that way. It's like Carver didn't put out a press release and say, I, he could have easily just got, while I am completely disappointed with what Jurgen Klinsmann says, at a later date we will sit here and discuss our differences. All he needed to do. Yeah. And Alexis Donaldson not say thing. You may not agree, you may not need to agree with him. You may not I mean and Keith and I don't agree on everything. I mean some of our texts back and forth question my sanity, but that's a whole other issue. Um I I'm short of the throngs of people that are on Twitter that are calling for Garber to to leave. Um Whoever is his speechwriter or his number two or his PR guy needed to box his head in and say, you don't do that. that that's not good media. So you have a disagreement. Uh, you look, look what Goodell did when his, the league blew up in his face. You didn't hear from him. Who knows? I mean, Goodell might have gone home to Jamestown, New York, and just said, screw it. Said, screw it. I'm getting out of here for a while. You know what? Garber calls it, calls it because the national because the national coach says he doesn't like his league. Well, you guys are both fans of EPL teams. The British make a field day of ripping into the national team manager. I mean, it's it's almost a niche sport. If, if you don't hear someone <laughs> rip the manager, the national team manager, you have to check their faults. Yeah, yeah. You see that in Scotland, oh, yeah. well, I mean, you know, I'm the thing, though. Going, I'm looking at this guy and saying, really? How does this grow the league? So someone... He went and said that he doesn't like the league. Of course. Of course, Jurgen's not going to because he has no basis to like the league. Yeah, Jurgen's been living here since the 90s and played in the old ASL or USL for wherever that team was. But he's a foreign coach from a foreign league. I mean, the MLS is littered with carcasses of top top coaches that have come from overseas that have just failed miserably. And Garber really didn't need to have to step out and do that. Because if he stepped out and went after every bad press, I mean, for God's sake, he would be calling a press conference every day for what Tinfoil Ted says for God. I mean, yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, make a great, you make a good point, Steve, because 
you know, Garber obviously his you know, part of his job is you know, defense. You know, you know he's going to stand up for the league, and I, you know, I admire him for wanting to do that. But this was a moment where he needed to step back and collect his thoughts and take a couple deep breaths before saying it. Before saying anything, that was the the bit to me. That to me is the big issue. Uh, on that, from from his standpoint, number one, uh, you know, because the, because again, this goes back to saw player development. You know, you know, Don Garber's job is to run Major League Soccer and make it and make it a success. Okay, Jurgen Klinsmann's job is to run the national team and win the World Cup. I want somebody, and, and it kills me when people talk about about you know the, the intertwining and help each other, things like that. Show me where in the U.S. soccer bylaws where it says MLS's job is to develop players for the national team or the national team's job is to help uh, you know, keep all the, it's better to keep all the players here playing in MLS. It, it isn't there. You know, these are two, they, while yes, U.S. soccer does sanction Major League Soccer, the simple fact is these are two separate entities with two separate goals in mind. It, there needs to be some cooperation. I'm not saying there doesn't, but you're dealing with two people who have two different goals, two different agendas. You know, you obviously you don't want them sniping at each other like this. That's not good. Uh, and yeah. and Jurgen, uh, to no surprise, backed up a little bit, uh, did some backpedaling like Richard Sherman uh, the, a day later. Um, you know, if he had, you know, for him to have his opinions on the quality of play in RMLS, that's one thing. Yeah, to to, but to me. To voice them like he did, uh, saying that uh, that you know Dempsey, Clint Dempsey, and, and uh, Michael Bradley's uh, coming back here is doesn't keep them at the same levels they are playing as they would be playing in Europe. Uh, you're gonna, uh, in case you hadn't noticed, most of your player pool does come from MLS, and uh, this is who you're working with here. Uh, you, you know what's the line about biting the hand that feeds you? Uh, certainly, we saw great. Uh, it, it speaks well of MLS that so many more players come from the league to play in the national team. But it's, it, in terms of Jurgen's comments, it, it, it all to me. It, I said this before the show. It all comes down to regular playing time. And uh, John McKay, the late John McKay, the legendary Southern Cal football coach, said that the guy sitting on the bench, he can learn how to drink water, he can learn how to wear a hat, he can learn how to hold a clipboard, but he can learn how to play. And I said, if I, you know, if I'm a DeAndre Edlin, Clint Dempsey, or whoever else you want to name, European team approaches me. My first question, before I even bother with my agent, I have my first question at Columbus: Am I going to be playing on a regular basis with the first team? If the answer is anything to the unequivocal yes, forget it. I'm not interested. The idea is you got to play more. Bradley was getting his playing time reduced dramatically at, at Roma. You know, Dempsey was in a little bit different situation. Uh, you know, when he was at Tottenham because of the, the wanting to leave and not wanting to leave and all that that kind of craziness too. But it, it, you're, to me, a player is better off playing regularly in MLS rather than sitting on a bench or playing for a third-rate reserve team in Europe. And you would think Jurgen would understand, would realize this, and realize if a guy he's he's his job is easier if the guy's playing regularly in MLS as opposed to sitting on a bench in Europe someplace. Uh, you know, Garber did go off a little bit hot under the collar, and he probably shouldn't have. Um, yeah, you know, obviously he, to, to you know if he wanted to say you know, to say things like you know. 
that Jurgen's comments are detrimental to the league and, and the game. Uh, certainly not good things to say. Uh, this this is the kind of discussion that the two of them, I think, should have had behind closed doors where they could hash it out, no holds barred, maybe agree to disagree on some things. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the, you know, Garber has a right to defend his league. He just did it. In a, it was a very clumsy challenge, I guess, for lack of a better term there. And I thought it was it was a little bit clumsy on Jurgen's part to criticize the league that's providing him with the bulk of the national team that he's in charge of. Yeah, you know, they, it would help if there's cooperation, but it's not written in stone anywhere if they have to. They're, again, they're two separate entities with two completely different aims in mind. It's not like you know, we don't see this in other sports. I mean, yeah, you have you have the Olympics in basketball. You have that uh, World Baseball Classic. The World Cup of Hockey League coming back. But that's not the same thing. You're not seeing guys play on national teams and the other sports on a regular basis. And that's the big difference here. And it's uh, all the, But I think at the end of the day, Alexi Alalas, when he was talking about this, I think he made the, the best point about it. And I, Michael DeCourcy poo-poos this idea because he wrote about this on uh, Sporting News saying that this, that's, it's a stupid thing to say, but I don't think it is. You've seen people debate this. That normally wouldn't have touched this sort of thing. And we saw the same thing in the World Cup when Landon Donovan was left out. And this, the game is better off when we have – this is part of the beauty of sports in general, is when you have stuff like this to argue about. When it isn't just results, wins, loss, or whatever. When you have arguments like this about who was Don Garber right, you're including right, should Donovan have been there, should he have not been there. This is what makes this is what I think makes sports so much fun, and it's great to see this coming into soccer. The more we get these you know ideas from different sources, and and this kind of debate among fans, it shows that the game has come a long way. Twenty years ago, this wouldn't have been a discussion. You know, no matter what league you were might have been referring to them in place, this wouldn't have been any. This would have been a blip. Would have been a blip on the radar screen. 20 years ago, this kind of slap between a league commissioner and the U.S. national team coach. Now it's a big deal. And I think that says something for the growth of the game. Well, you know, you made some good points, Keith, and and Stephen likewise. You know, here's kind of my take on it. One, the, the operating conditions in the United States are different than the rest of the world. Let's not forget that this is a franchise so Garber speaks for the franchise. He speaks for all the teams and all the team owners. When you've got Turnip Head, you know Graham Taylor as as the head coach for for England back in back in the early '90s, I think it was. You know, it, you know, it, it really didn't matter what he offered or Sven Goran Eriksson offered or or any of these other guys have offered in the past about the English Premier League because there wasn't a franchise spokesman for the English Premier League. They were associated with the English FA as individual clubs associated with the FA um, that that's administratively r- runs the team. They don't speak for, for leagues, so to speak. Um, so, you know, Klinsman doing what he did versus Garber doing what he did you know, I think your your summation touched on it really well, Keith. Is, but I'll I'll say it a little bit differently. It was a a bash of egos that you're not yes. going to get that 20 years ago 
or even 10 years ago. Uh, but, you know, that being said, you know, Klinsman has a point. And, and you know, this, this might fry some people a little bit, but, you know, Michael Bradley is not playing at the same competitive level with Toronto that he did in Syria. And, you know, Michael Bradley really has never been the best player when it comes to the first touch. He's been a very good player when it comes to vision. But first touch isn't the best. And all you got to do is, is remember his first touch in that game against Portugal where they ended up scoring the, the goal in stoppage time. It was his first touch that led to the turnover that led to the open space that Klinsman created by putting on Gonzalez and pulling off Graham Zussi. So, you know, both of those guys are at fault to some extent, and both of those guys want to see the best. And when you have both people wanting to do that, you get clashes of ego. You get clashes of personality. So, so Keith, I think you're right. It's it's a great yeah. thing that this has happened in in that bigger picture context. But yeah. in the smaller context, you know, Bradley isn't getting better because the competition's well, not better. And well, first, Dempsey's and, getting and again, better to, because well, his competition's better. Yeah, but I go back to my original point. How could Michael Bradley get better sitting on the bench? His playing time was reduced greatly at Roma in his second season. Your then, first season, yep. yeah, he played a lot, but he got it was being cut back greatly. How can get? How can he improve sitting on the bench? That's, then that's you play for play. a lesser team in a top-flight league in Europe, and you'll still have a better opportunity, I think, to learn how to play to win. I don't and, necessarily. I, I don't necessarily think that's I, true. And I, I, go back I, I know. To, <laughs> well, okay, but I go back. But I want to go back to Mike DeCourcy's article uh, that he he points out something very interesting. He draws parallels with 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 football. Colin Kaepernick took the Forty ers to the Super Bowl. Where did he go to school? Did he go to an SEC school? No. Did he go to a Big Ten? No, he went to Nevada. No. Nevada. He went to Nevada. But he but look at look at it now. Stephen Curry in the NBA. You think he even gets a chance to walk on the ACC? No. He goes to Davidson, becomes a big star, and the NBA gives him a chance. It's the level I, I got doesn't keep, always, yeah, the level doesn't but, always make the player necessarily. I think the, the playing is what makes the player. Yeah, oh, I, 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 I got it. I agree, but yeah. um, I'm of the camp where I think that's the exception to the rule, not the rule. You know, well, Michael Bradley I mean, could have gone down a level and played for Manchester United anyway. He he could have. Uh, oh, he, you had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he could have gone to the Bundesliga. He could have gone to La Liga. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like Schalke, right? They're not the best team in the Bundesliga, but they're in the Champions League. Um, Hamburger is not the best team in the Bundesliga, but they're holding their own. And they're playing against a team like Bayern Munich, who beat Werder Bremen 6-0. Werder Bremen had no shots taken, no shots on goal, no goals scored. And then Bayern turns around, and who who did they just blow out of the water today? They beat somebody 7-1. They beat Roma. Yeah, Roma. 
Yeah. So does, but but see if Bradley's playing for Roma, he gets that experience of going up against all those top flight players from Bayern, and you know sometimes yeah, losing right. the hard way is better than winning the easy way. Okay, but he's got to be on the field. My point is, at Roma, he wasn't always getting on the field, and he's got the, the you got to get on the field in game comp in match competition to improve. He wasn't getting that at Roma the, the last year he was there. Where, right you know, now, and, okay, and now no picture gear, that. And there's no guarantee. Would he if he okay? Let's say he goes to you know the Bundesliga or La Liga, plays for a mid-table goal. Are they going to give him the opportunity to play? And well, if the answer is yes, okay, it might be better. But if the answer is going to be no, it's the same as after Roma. What's the point? Uh, I I I got you, but let me let me take it a step further. Roma got beat seven one, right? Yeah. And they probably only had two or three hundred passes attempted. They probably only had about a hundred passes within the penetrating final third of Bayern, maybe. And if Bradley's not even good enough to get playing time with a team that can only muster 250 or 300 passes against Bayern. What does that say about his salary in the MLS? He's not even good enough to play on a Roma side that can't even offer 250 passes against Bayern. And there are 12 to 15 to 18 teams in the Bundesliga right now that average over 300 passes against Bayern. And if Bradley's not good enough to make that side with Roma, there's probably a very good reason why Garber got pissed off is because Jurgen just slapped MLS in the face for paying that much money for an American, granted, in an American league that's not that good. You're going to think of it this way. Garber... You guys got to think of it this way. None of these transfer fees or none of these contracts are really true value. I mean, can, honestly, can we say someone like Steven Gerrard is worth every penny he makes? Probably not. No. It's what you are worth at that point. I mean, what, was Pele worth all the money that he got for the Cosmos? No. He was just in desperate need of money, and the league was in desperate need of him. Well, plus the fact that, like David Beckham's contract, a lot of that money was coming from sources other than the Cosmos itself. Keep that in mind. Oh, right yeah, there. obviously. The, 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 thing, the problem I have, I like the concept that Jurgen is saying that the players should be overseas. I like his thought. I really do. Here's the, here's the thing. Are they good enough? Are they good enough to be at the top teams? No. We've proven that. Now, the thing with Michael Bradley, he has not had a break in two years. He's probably going to have, I would hope, and you don't want to do this to Jurgen because he he, um, leaves you out, he drops you off of the team, is that someone needs to put Michael Bradley on a two, two and a half month break. Someone needs to put Clint Dempsey yeah. on a two and a half month break and say, "Don't t- don't come out, don't come back until we're done." But that that's not going to happen because these players have got to play every single minute of every single every single month, and then we wonder why they have some bad bad run of form. 
when you have them playing every week for two and a half years, of course they are. I mean, these aren't supermen, for God's sake. I mean, Michael Jordan broke down. Landon Donovan yeah. broken down. and Timmy You're, you're absolutely taking, right, Stephen. Taking yeah. a year off. I mean, maybe we maybe what we need to start doing in the sport is allowing these players to take some damn time off. Because reality or, or have a strong enough will like Tim Howard to say, I'm taking a break voluntarily. Well, yeah, that that's a good point. I mean, you know, the other thing is is the miles traveled by Bradley. And don't get me wrong. I, oh, yeah. I, I hope I'm not coming across as somebody that's bashing Bradley as a soccer player personally. I'm not. I'm just, you know, in, in when you watch the EPL, when you watch the, the better teams in the Bundesliga or La Liga or Serie A, there's a certain level of player out there that's just really really good and and Bradley's really good but he's not really really good so you know maybe it's of benefit that he gets a bit of rest here with Toronto um you know at least I hope he does um he definitely needs it you're right Stephen that's that was a great point you made yep but you know then I you know then I gotta ask you okay so all right and and I did a double check here and the number of passes that Roma had was 350 total, uh, but they only penetrated with 63. So, you know, just just to put that into context, you know, if Bradley is starting on a team like that, um, you know, he's he's exposed to defending against a top club, and you know, the U.S. when they played Germany in the World Cup. They did a great job of defending against the top club. You, you know that? So, you know, in, in, on the flip side, you know, there's a bit of weakness in what Klinsman says, too. That, you know, given the style of play that, that the U.S. had, which was counterattacking and seed possession, um, you know, maybe it's it's better that, you know, the, the U.S. Soccer Federation brings in a head coach that works better with a counter-attacking strategy as opposed to an attacking strategy. I don't well, know what... See, that was counter what Clinton said. Clinton, part of the reason he took the job is he wanted to transform how American soccer's play. You know, and, and he... And, and, I'm, and I credit him for that, and I credit him for wanting to, you know, for having his opinions on such things. Uh, you know, whether he sees his motivational tactics or what, I'm not sure. But, you know, I said, you know, Jurgen wants to change things in this country, and he and I and I want, you know, I wanted to be confident in his player pool, um, you know, wherever they wherever they happen to be playing, you know. And but you know, the point the point you made, Chris, is a good one. You got a couple of strong willed people here in Don Garber, Jurgen Klinsmann, and yeah, they're going to clash on things like this. So again, this is a situation, as I said. I wish they would have talked about this thing behind closed doors where they could just let it all hang out. They come out, agree to disagree, shaking hands, say they go and say, "Yeah, we've got our differences, but we're still going to try to cooperate as best we can for the good of both entities." Uh, they didn't do it that way, unfortunately. But I think I think you're I think Jurgen overall has the right ideas in terms of wanting to change the mentality, wanting to change the approach, uh, wanting even wanting to change in some ways the structure of how things are done. He doesn't, you know, he wants to. 
you know, we do, you know, the American, we still have that defend, counter, slash, counterattack mentality, and he wants to transform that. And I hope he can. I really do. I would like to see it be more of a king. And we saw flashes of it in the World Cup. You know, it's, even uh, at the end of those last two games, it was against Germany and against Belgium, we saw flashes of what the United States can do and is capable of, at least for brief periods of time. Can that translate? Can will he get the time to transform the team to be able to do that on a more regular basis? Who knows? He, he's got he's got the contract through twenty uh, through twenty eighteen. Whether he stays that long or not, who knows? Uh, a lot of things can happen in four years, but. You know, I overall I like what Jurgen is doing. Uh, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, I don't. Th- again, I didn't think. I don't think you know, saying what he said, uh, criticizing the league was the greatest idea in the world. Again, he did backtrack on that sort of thing, saying he was his comments were misunderstood uh, on some level. But uh, I, you know, to get get somebody to get somebody like Jurgen Klinsmann was as an original someone who's got some original thinking going on in his head it is going to be good for the game in the long run, both in terms of the national team and in terms of MLS, because hopefully some of the MLS people will see this and say, hey, you know, we do have some talent. We could do some things like this. Uh, and ho- you know, hopefully th- you know, things will progress. Obviously, we still don't produce nearly as many uh, quality players as the rest of the world does. And that's, that's something that's, that's going to hold American soccer back for a long time because, again, it goes back to money. You are you can't the money just isn't there to attract uh, a Stephen Curry, a Mike Trout, or a Phil Kessel, a Richard Sherman type of athlete to soccer. And uh, if that ever changes, again, rest of the world, look out, you've got problems on your hands. Uh, but yeah. it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a long time before you see that quality of an athlete come into professional soccer on a on a, on a regular basis in terms of the numbers you see in the four major sports. Um, all yep. of these all of these soccer players are star athletes. I see that when people say, oh, once we get star, once we get the multi-sport athletes, um, folks, 90% of who are out there, outside of probably Landon Donovan, played multiple sports going all through college, high school to college. Heck, Timmy Howard had a um, Scholarship to I think Rutgers playing basketball. So, well, yeah. if you get a LeBron James, and that no, 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 you're never to get a LeBron James because he's six nine two eighty. That doesn't work out there. You're going to get. Why, that's why I mentioned the guys I did because guys that size of a, a, a Phil Kessel or Richard Sherman, guys that size play soccer. You know, I'm not saying. Yeah, obviously, you know, a, a Dwight Howard. Uh, uh, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant, yeah, they're too they're too tall for the game, sure. But you, you the the number of of guys, the number of guys in MLS who, if if they went to another sport, could have made as professionals, is not that great. You know, yeah, Tim Howard, yeah, Howard probably could have played college, Division One college basketball. I don't doubt that. But there's not many. In MLS, like that. These, I mean, they're good athletes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, but could they be are they good enough athletes to have played another sport professionally? No, there's not that many of them, and that's that's one of the things that holds American soccer back is that you don't have huge numbers of people with world class athletic ability uh, like a like a Phil Kessel, like a Mike Trout, like a Mike Trout, like a Stephen Curry, like a Richard Sherman. 
coming into soccer. And again, it goes back to the money or the lack yeah, of. You, you know, you, you say that, Keith. I was just talking to a sports performance analyst that, that works for a major league soccer club today. And we were talking about that very thing that, that, you know, there needs to be a rebirth, a re-encouragement that, you know, from the ages of 12 to 16 or so, you know, kids should be playing multiple sports. Yeah. Um, you know, not necessarily playing soccer and then playing basketball because you work the same joints, but it's a completely different surface. But, you know, like, you know, you play soccer, then you play baseball, and then maybe you play lacrosse or something like that. So kids kids are learning different physical skills that they can bring to the game of soccer to make them that much right. better. Um, and, you it's know, also good for them it, you don't want to burn them out on one sport too soon. Yeah, but I, I want to go back to the Klinsman thing. And, you know, I must admit, I didn't listen to what he had to say, and I didn't read or listen to what Garber had to say. But but he, here's kind of a perspective. Okay, so Jurgen Klinsman is looking to play, and he has played a counterattacking style against better teams, right? And then when they've played teams that are maybe on an equal footing or maybe a little bit less, he likes to play a possession-based style a little bit more. So, but But to get to that nth degree... The skill set of players like Zusi, like Bradley, like Dempsey, like, I won't say Gonzalez, like Beasler, like uh, Johnson, like um, Altador, and, and other players of that ilk. Um, DeAndre those guys need to be precise in learning how to play a counterattacking style where they're not going to dominate possession. And and I think that's probably something that Klinsman might have been thinking, even though he might not have said it. And, and of course, when you look at the Bundesliga, as an example, uh, what I think there's 18 teams. Hang on. Um, there There's 18 teams, I think. You know, 75% or 70 or 60% of those teams have to play a counterattacking style in order to survive in that league because you got a team like Bayern or Borussia Dortmund or even Bayer Leverkusen, you know, or even Mönchengladbach that that are better at possession and they're going to have possession because they're better at possession. And then if you look at the La Liga, you've got I think 20 teams in the La Liga, right? Um, you were right about the Bundesliga. Yeah, about it is ACP. yeah, so so okay, so you look at La Liga and there's 22 teams in La Liga, and you got Barcelona. You have maybe Valencia. You have Real Madrid. You 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 might have Rayo Vallecano, maybe not. But you've got, you got at least two. La Liga. Yeah, you got at least two there that work off of possession-based domination. And the other 18 teams in that league have to survive at the highest level by playing to a counterattacking style. So, so, and and then if you look at the EPO, you've probably got eight teams that are more possession-based than counterattacking. 
But even when a Southampton goes up against a Chelsea, I'd be willing to bet that Southampton probably plays a little bit more counterattacking than Chelsea. Or if they go up against Arsenal, even though Southampton's better than Arsenal at this point because of points, they're probably going to play counterattacking. So in order to get to that nth degree, to get to that final stage where you're an elite national club, you need players that are elite in terms of competing against top teams from a counterattacking style. And I don't think you get that with Dempsey anymore because he plays on a possession-based team. I don't think you get that with Zussi because he plays on a possession-based team. I don't think you get that with Beisler or even Gonzalez or some of the other players that play in the MLS. They're, they're not competing at the highest level of a counterattacking style, which means you've got to have a superb first touch, you've got to have great vision, and you've got to be quick. So, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at with the Klinsman-Garber thing. You know, all that other stuff, you know, maybe for, for me is probably out of my out of my strike zone, so. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did, yeah, did I rant or, or go on like, there like oh, in no, a Keith we, kind of way? <laughs> no, if it was going to be out of your strike zone, it would be out of the park because San Francisco's up by three on my Royals, and it's not going to make for a good night for Steven. Oh, I gave up baseball. I can't remember. You know, I was a Cleveland Indians fan for a long time, and, and when I lived in Europe, they did great. And when I came back from Europe, <laughs> yeah, they've gone back to the way they were. So, you know, maybe if I move back to Europe, they'll do great again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they just got to draft Keith, one of the two. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Anyway, we're coming up on the last 10 minutes of a jumbo show because apparently I forgot to click it down to – down to 60 minutes. Um, anything else, Chris, that you've seen um, playing around in, in soccer that you want to want to get out before we close up shop at 8:30? Uh, yeah, sure. And, and you know, one of the other things I talk about in the article I just published was had to do with the college. And I think I've probably already kind of gone on about the unlimited substitution rule. Um. And, and, you know, there's there's a naughty word that goes with that, and that's called entitlement. And, you know, MLS is an entitlement-based league. Basically, you're in. Even if you're Chivas, you still are around for some reason or another. And, you know, I think, you know, college soccer operating out of the confines of U.S. soccer and FIFA is detrimental to soccer in this country. I um, agree. And And... And you know, here's here's the other thing, is in in you know I'm not going to quote I'm not going to offer up the name of the college head coach that gave me this kind of soundbite so to speak or, or I'm going to paraphrase him, but he's one of the one of the head coaches for one of the top college teams in in the United States and and kind of here here's what his kind of shared thoughts were with me. You know, sometimes it's awfully hard to play possession-based soccer because the skill level in college is watered down, is poor. 
And because of that, it's not even counterattacking. It's direct attacking. And, and, you know, and this is kind of where it worries me a little bit that MLS is going to expand to two clubs. And if they don't add more money to the scenario, you're just going to see t- more teams play a more direct attacking style of play because they don't have the skill level to play a counterattacking or possession-based play. Um, so, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with college. You know, you, it, you it's it's you're a spot on, Chris. There's no question about that because the, the, the simple fact is that you know, Kyle, unlike the, the four majors, well, I shouldn't say the four, unlike you know, basketball and football. Uh, college soccer isn't designed in terms of getting guys to the professional ranks. It, it's that simple. Uh, and yeah, and, and they played three months. Part, yeah, that, that's part of that's part of the reason why they only they have a limited three month season. It's been there's been talk about expanding it. Uh, there's also been talk about doing some cutbacks too. But it's it's it because of that because of the substitution rules and things things of that nature. The fact that as you see you got. You've got guys playing in college that that have don't have a snowball's chance of even playing for a, a you know, MPSL team necessarily, uh, even or let alone USL or even NASL. Forget MLS. You, you are dealing with down, with a watered down uh, skill level. Uh, yeah, it, and it doesn't. Was... There, there was one other point I wanted to 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 make on the college thing, and, yeah. and that's if if college if NCAA buys into U.S. soccer and FIFA, then look at the pool of referees that you create that can go yeah, well, professional that's, that's for not, major league not, soccer. Yeah, great. That's, that'd be great, but that's never going to happen. The NCAA has a lot bigger things to deal with. And as I said before, you know, when it all comes down, or finally all comes crashing down around them in 10 years, when all the court cases finally make their way to the Supreme Court and they're they're ruled again, the NCAA is not going to be worried about soccer at all. Soccer is going to become a club sport at best, uh, recreational league. Uh, more than, in a lot of cases, you're you're not going to see uh, you're certainly not going to see national intercollegiate play. This is going to apply to a lot of down revenue sports too. Uh, this is going to apply to you know, softball. Uh, gymnastics, what, what wrestling, what have you, you're going to see. You know, football and basketball are the only truly national collegiate intercollegiate sport. You know, baseball is going to be you know, shrunken down a bit. Uh, hockey certainly will be, but you know, soccer is, is is just not going to be uh, a varsity sport in terms of you to getting a lot of you or if any university funding. You know, they're going to have to pull kids to get the pool their own resources or get. A, Maybe get a few grants from some place in the school somewhere, but as I said, you know it's going to be you know Ohio State's going to play all the schools that here surrounding them in Central Ohio. Maybe if they're lucky, they can have a fundraiser to get them to make a bus trip to play either Akron or Cincinnati. But that so the you know, the, the soccer question, the, the the college soccer thing, it is an issue to, is is a minor issue, and it's a it's an issue that's eventually going to go away in terms of. Transitioning from youth and high school age to to, to the professional ranks. Yep. Yeah, and that's you know again why I advocate. I like the idea of the USL Pro. 
because um, yes. I think that that's that's like minor league baseball, and it's it'll it'll replace and allow those lads to focus with some specific training. So so there you go, Stephen. That's I had one other topic that I could talk about in terms of scouting combines, but I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> Yeah, because we're coming up on the last two minutes anyway, and I was I was thinking while we're, while we're while we were doing this, you know, you know what, Keith, we haven't done in a while. We haven't talked about women's soccer in a while. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that next week with the uh, Concacaf uh, finals uh, coming up this uh, next weekend uh, in Philadelphia at the United States, making the semifinals of the Concacaf tournament and uh, quality qualifiers for. Uh, Next year's Women's World Cup, we'll definitely want to talk about that. There's some interesting storylines coming out of the uh, the qualifying rounds here this week. We should also try to get Bo Dury on and see because oh, he does a lot with women's soccer. I would love to see get him interested to talk about this. Anyway, we've got 60 seconds left. Chris Gluck, Keith Kokinda, Stephen Brandt. Be sure to listen to this on the Happy Hour Network on Fridays on Blog Talk at 7 p.m. Don't worry, you're not going to hear us again. We're not, we're not going to be doing the doing another show. This is going to be this one rebooted on on Friday. Anyway, it's been Stephen Brandt. I want to thank Global Scarves for being our sponsor, and we will talk to you guys next week.